After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to Baseball America's College Podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk college baseball. Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Obviously, it's uh, been a little while since we've talked college baseball here, but that's uh, that's what I'm here to do today. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me today, Kyle Glazer. This is the first college uh, podcast for Kyle, who uh, is more of a pro writer, but since you were out in California where the collegiate national team was, uh, you were... You were able to see them. I wasn't. I was in Omaha at the time, but uh, uh, you know the way the collegiate schedule worked out, it was it was great for you, and, and you were able to, to see them, uh, even if the rest of us uh, were not, because after they were in California, they uh, they went on their foreign tour. But their tour is now over. Um, they uh, came back from Cuba, where they won the series for the first time in the history of the collegiate national team. So we wanted to, to talk about how this team did and. And since you were able to see them, you know, we wanted to, to get your thoughts on uh, on what you were able to see while they were out there in California. Yeah, it was a really interesting experience for me because the vast majority of the collegiate national team were SEC, ACC guys, guys who I really had never gotten a chance to see in person before. So it was interesting seeing some of these guys and just what they can do because it's obviously different on TV versus, and, and just talking to people versus seeing it with your own eyes. I mean, I, I go back to Jaron Kendall. I mean, that's the guy, and I'm mentioned this before but it's really almost like you know there's you know in little league and high school whatever there's that one kid who just is so visibly the best player on the field in everything he does that was jaron kendall on a loaded collegiate national team i mean talk about hitting for contact hitting for power his arm his defense i mean everything this kid did I think I even tweeted out, he kind of was turning the collegiate national team uh, first week there in SoCal into his own personal showcase. I mean, that's a guy that, you know, just has it. And you talk to George Horton and some of the scouts in the crowd, I mean, he's the guy. And I think that's really impressive when you look at coming in, you have big names like Seth Beer and and some other guys in that lineup. And Jaron Kendall's the guy who just blew everybody away. I mean, he has been that player for, you know, college, college baseball fans are, n- are not going to be surprised to hear, hear that. Uh, you know, anyone that's watched Vanderbilt the last two years knows the way that Jaron Kendall can impact a game. And uh, he did it last summer on the Cape, and, and this summer he's able to, uh, to join Team USA. And, I mean, he really was a huge factor for them. You know, he hit two-hole, he played center field, he was one of the leading hitters all summer. And, I mean, again, this is, this is not surprising to anyone uh, that, that's uh, seen college baseball the last couple of years, but you know, he really does it all out there. I mean, they, uh, you, know, you don't, I don't know how official the Honey Badger nickname is for him, but uh, you know, I, I've, it applies to him, and, and I know it's out there. Um, but don't don't want to steal Tyron Matthews' thunder, but I mean, he uh, he just he's a really good player that that can chase balls down. He's got more power than you'd think for his size, and uh, I mean, he puts the bat on the ball. You know, Dodger Stadium is a pitcher's park, and you're talking about college kids swinging, you know, wood bats, and he comes up and just parks one ten rows deep in right field, right center in Dodger Stadium, which is not easy to get out to. So I think the fact that, you know, you talk about all these people knowing about it, for a lot of the West West guys, you know, who are so busy when they are doing, you know, prep and college stuff out West, because there's so many schools and so many players out there that hadn't had a chance to see him. There were a lot of uh, so Southern California-based scouts who, like me, were seeing him for the first time, and we all have the same reaction, like, wow. You know, you see the stats, you see the, the, the highlight reel on television, but Jaron Kendall is definitely something special. I think it's safe to say among all the position players, he's the guy who, you know, if, if you can make a judgment off of who raised their stock most off of, you know, one week of, of – international scrimmage play, if you will, because that's what that first week in Southern California was, uh, it's definitely Jaron Kendall. And, and you also love, he can play center field. I mean, he's not a guy who's a college center fielder, but it's going to have to move. I mean, the way he moves, the speed, the range, everything is, this guy's a top-of-the-order center fielder who has a chance to be not just a, a good player, but 
a star for years to come beyond the college game. And I think um, you know when, when you're putting this team together, um, you know that's that's kind of a guy you can build around too. I mean, he's uh, that's exactly what George Horton yeah. said. They said as soon as you know he was a top of their board kind of guy, even above you know again Seth Beer's the big name. We asked George Horton, you know, who did you build around? Jaron Kendall in the lineup and Alex Fiedel on the pitching staff. Those were the core guys in the eyes of the selection staff. I mean, and we're uh, going to rank the the top prospects or, or rank the the Team USA prospects, and you know, those are Fado and, and Kendall are both going to be very close to the top when uh, when those rankings come out. And Kendall, um, you know, you're looking at a very much a potential top ten pick next year, potentially uh, the first college position player off the board. I, I think right now he might be in that. Um, you know, in the driver's seat for that right now. Obviously, very early. There's so much time before the draft, and a lot of things can change. But just what he can do on the baseball field is rare. And you know, you saw that in California. Uh, anyone that followed them through um, through Taiwan and Japan and Cuba definitely continued to see that. And and uh, I mean, it, he does a little bit of everything. He homered twice this summer. He stole five bases. Um, you know, he, he goes and gets them in center field. I mean, it, it, he does a lot of things really well. I think one thing that people would like to see a little bit less of is the strikeouts. There's a little bit of a recurring issue with, uh, with Vanderbilt over the last few years that they, uh, they adopt a pro approach for sure, where strikeouts are not verboten at all. And, um, you know, even Dansby Swanson, before he was the number one overall pick, you know, you looked at the strikeout numbers and you, they were not terrible but it was like what, they were higher than you might want to see for right for a number one pick, in, so. in, in my head i just keep thinking back you know vanderbilt guys high strikeouts i immediately think pedro alvarez you know, oh for sure that's that's you know so that's the fear but then again for all of pedro alvarez's flaws still in the major seeing 20 home runs a year so if that's you know the not the bad story but the the downside story you're still you're still doing okay right and that's uh i mean that's kind of one extreme and um you know it they obviously send plenty of guys who, who are very successful into pro ball. Uh, you know, I, it's just in the last couple of years, it's been it's been a little more noticeable uh, versus some other teams, and uh, a lot of it comes down to approach. And I mean, you can uh, you can work on these things. Again, they're 20, 21 year old kids. Like there's uh, there's there's time for development. There's expectation. There will still be development. That's one thing that I think um, Jaron Kendall is going to be asked to work on. And some of this is also very understandable. He's a Wisconsin kid. You know, we're talking about a kid who grew up in Wisconsin, doesn't have all the developmental time that, that some of these other players have, doesn't get to face the elite arms that some of these other players do. And, you know, he goes to Vanderbilt, makes an immediate impact as a freshman, and now is the, the, the best position player on the, the collegiate national team. You know, he's a talent that just jumps out at you. I mean, that's the best way to say it. You know, if you walked in to that collegiate national team and had never seen any of the players before, or even if you had, he was still the guy that just right off the bat, even at the workout day. I mean, he was the guy with the strongest arm coming in from the outfield. He was the guy who was moving the fastest, and he was the guy who, you know, there are other guys hitting home runs, but he was the guy just line shot, line shot, line shot. I mean, again, it's just, that's what I'll, I'll always remember is just how much he jumps out at you. Well, playing next to him this summer was uh, TJ Friedel uh, from Nevada. Uh, this was a Bit of a surprise that the TJ Friedel was playing left field every day for for the collegiate national team and hitting in front of Kendall. Friedel was the the leadoff hitter. Um, this is a guy that was brought into camp uh, to compete with Luis Gonzalez from New Mexico to be a fourth outfielder, uh, a guy who could play center field and, and spell Kendall if he needed, kind of guy. And he won that job, and then he won a starting job. And now, um, you know, we're recording this on Thursday. August 4th, and later today, uh, the Reds are going to make it official that they have signed Friedel as a non-drafted free agent um, to the largest non-drafted free agent contract in history. He was not well-known, obviously, this spring. He goes undrafted. Um, He was a redshirt sophomore, so he's eligible for the draft, goes unpicked. He hit 400 for Nevada, and they, uh, they bring him into camp to see what they've got. Uh, his his coach at Nevada, T.J. Bruce, um, you know, was kind of t- tipped George Horan off to, to to this guy and said, "Hey, you should you should take a look at him." So Horan did. They eventually invite him to camp. He wins the job. 
and he becomes a very integral part of the team. He hits 290 over the summer, and he gets signed in large part because of what he did in California for one week. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, T.J. Friedel was a guy that, you, know, you mentioned playing left field as he moved forward, but during that week in California, he wasn't starting. He was coming in in the sixth inning and playing center field after Kendall left the game. I mean, he was, you know, and you just saw as the week went on, his role was increasing a little bit. He was getting, you know, he kept showing up. You know, he's a guy you weren't necessarily trying to pay attention to, but he kept doing something to grab your attention. And, uh, you know, I still remember there was one catch he made at Angel Stadium on uh, on that Thursday that also, you know, we just talked about how Jaron Kendall can do some amazing things and, you know, make some highlight reel plays. I think the most impressive catch I saw that week belonged to T.J. Friedel, you know, on a straight line back, you know, back to the plate, going out to center field, and, uh, you know, just reaching out and coming up against the wall and making a great grab. I mean, that was something that was definitely an eye-opener, I think, how quickly he broke back on the ball. And then you just kind of saw all the other skills he had just peek out a little bit at a time. Again, it wasn't like an explosive, oh my goodness, who is this guy? You just... The more you watched him, the more you realized the more he could do. <laughs> he um, is incredibly interesting. I just finished writing a story about him that you can read on BaseballAmerica.com. And he, he was a walk-on out of high school. Und- nobody He had one offer. It was to Nevada as an invited walk-on. And he was a defensive replacement, pinch runner, first year. And then they redshirted him, Jay Johnson, now the Arizona coach in his last year at Nevada, didn't want to burn another year of eligibility just on this kid pinch running and being a defensive replacement, and he felt like he had three very good outfielders, and he did, so there, there wasn't room for Friedel. So he he's, just hasn't played that much in college, and all, now he's he becomes one of the best players on a team of all-stars, which is what Team USA is, and signs this this big contract, and it's it's just really an incredible story that how fast he has come along here. Just goes to show, you know, you have a, a really, really good showing against some of the elite competition, and you're going you're gonna to draw some attention to yourself. You know, it's tough. Again, being a West Coast guy, you know, the hierarchy of baseball on the West Coast, you know, obviously Pac-12 is the top, but really after that, you know, Big West, WCC, I mean, the Mountain West from a baseball perspective is not well regarded even on the West Coast. And then within that, you know, San Diego State people pay attention to, you know, sometimes, you know, you know, New Mexico when they had some really good teams and, and occasionally UNLV will, will get a little bit of attention. But, I mean, you know, Nevada, you're at Elevation, you're in Reno. A lot of the area scouts are not based out of there. They're based in Vegas or NorCal, and it's not an easy drive from Northern California to Reno. So, you know, it's it's you're kind of playing in the fourth-tier conference on the West Coast in a lot of people's eyes, you know, incorrectly or not. And on top of that, you're in one of the more... Uh, I don't want to say isolated locations because Reno's not isolated. You can get to it. There's just not a lot of baseball personnel who live close to it. So, you know, you have all those factors. And on top of that, you're playing at elevation up there. So it's really easy to discount offensive performance. So it's just, I think there are a lot of factors that kind of conspired against that. I mean, you look at, you know, some of those, those, the mountain, the mountain range schools in the mountain West, you know, air force, the air forces of the world. I mean, there's not really a lot of baseball talent to come out of there, and fair or not, I think that kind of probably affected a little bit. Plus, we talked about, you know, one of the inter-office discussions is, you know, how many people saw sophomore next to his name and assumed he wasn't draft eligible? Even though it was a redshirt sophomore, you know, it's when you're looking at thousands and thousands and thousands of, of names on a spreadsheet, it's really easy to just check off sophomore, so just, just X them out without realizing that R in front of the, the class year. You know, typically the Mountain West has, like, a big-time guy, like Absolutely. Strasburg, at Fetty, Shipley, Peterson. That didn't really exist this year, and I, I think that hurt him as well because there weren't guys racing. Like, you know, okay, the year, even if we take Steven Strasburg out of the equation, um, you know, most years there's a, there's a first-rounder here. Right, you know, yeah. Eric, you, you have to go see Eric Fetty, so you're going to get seen that weekend when there are when they're in to see Fetty play you guys and, and at Nevada and you know there wasn't really that this year and I that is you know that, that that's just another thing like like you mentioned just a lot of things conspired against this and, and I, I think that's a big part of it is that this year the Mountain West didn't have a big time guy there there was decent baseball being played there for sure uh, you know Fresno State New Mexico Nevada they were all 
quality teams, but they didn't have that big time draft guy that drew cross checkers. Right, and and you know going back to to Nevada, obviously you know when Braden Shipley was there, of course people are going to go see him. But part of that is also even though he started as a shortstop there, he was coming of age as a pitcher. So if you can pitch well in Reno, then you're going to draw eyes because again you're at elevation. It is not an easy place to pitch. But if you hit well there, you know again fair or not, it's almost like you know oh well he hits well at Coors Field or oh well he hits well in high desert, you know. How real is it? As opposed to if you pitch well at those places, everyone's going to come and see you. For sure. And uh, it's going to be very interesting to follow uh, his pro career now, see, um, see what he's able to do. He's still developing as a player. I mean, he, you know, he, just, uh, he really has only had this one year of, of college experience, truly, uh, in, in terms of playing every day. So it's going to be interesting to see how, uh, how this all transitions forward. And he's, uh, he's very interesting and... There, there's some tools there. I mean, he's a plus runner. He liked the bat. Um, you know, he hit 400 for Nevada. He hit pretty well for Team USA. He hit 290. Uh, so if you like the bat, there, there are things to things to be excited about there. But I think it's he's a good uh, center fielder. Yes, he was playing left field for Team USA, but he's no, he a center can fielder. Absolutely play center. Yeah, he's that, a center fielder going forward. But right. it's it's going to be he's not a he's not a big guy. He's not a power guy. So it's going to be a matter of how well he can continue to hit. No, exactly, and I think that was something else. You know, I talked about it was one of those guys. The more you watch, the more you like. I mean, when he first steps up, he's there's nothing imposing about him. Um, but again, he first opens your eyes with his play in the field, and then you start paying more attention to him, and you just it kind of grow, it grows. I mean, that's the best way I can say it. And and you're right. I mean, he's playing left field because they had Jared Kendall in center field, but a lot of organizations are not going to have a Jared Kendall type <laughs> center fielder. I mean, he's absolutely a guy that, that showed the ability to be a really good center fielder, and you take that plus, you know, some of the speed, and you say, all right, you know, he's absolutely worth taking a shot on. I mean, maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't, because you're right, anytime you only have one real year of track record, it's always a risky proposition, but clearly he's, he's done enough to, to convince himself, convince uh, a lot of reputable scouts that, yeah, this is a guy that's non-drafted, but we're willing to give, I mean, we're talking, you know, third, fourth, fifth round money too. Yeah. So we, you know, we've talked about a couple hitters here. Let's uh, let's talk about this pitching staff, which was incredible this summer. Uh, team ERA of one eighty one. They had some of the best arms in the country this year for sure. Uh, for next year's draft, uh, they brought in Fado, Alex Fado from Florida, Alex Lane from LSU, JB Bukaskis from North Carolina. Those three guys all look like top ten picks, probably. Kyle Wright from Vanderbilt, um, right in there with them. Uh, Brendan McKay, last year's freshman of the year, um, and uh, I'm missing somebody here. No, I think oh Tanner Houck uh, from Missouri, uh, another another really outstanding top half of the the draft potentially, uh, and and the rest of the staff was really good too. I mean those are those are kind of the the biggest names, and Fado um, for me right now is your your number one college player in the draft. Uh, we'll see we'll see how things shake out, but. He had a great summer, and you you definitely wrote about him while you were out there. So, what what did you see from from Fado that that impressed you? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, again, coming in kind of fresh eyes. You know, I know the name, I've seen him on TV. You know, he looks impressive. There's no doubt. But then you come and see him in person, and it's it's wow. I mean, from the ease of his delivery to the size to the poise on the mound to how quickly he worked to the pure stuff to the movement on the stuff. I mean, this was a guy that you know, came in with hype and met every every bit of it. You know, my, my favorite quote, I think, of the entire week I was watching the team was uh, after Fado's uh, start, George Horton says, that's what it looks like. I mean, that's, that's, that's exactly the best way to say it. That is what a number one, you know, front of the rotation right-hander looks like. He is very good. His slider is probably his best pitch. He has a very good fastball, but his slider is is just, it's filthy. Well, that's the thing. It's like, there's not one thing you can, I mean, I'm sure if you really watch, you know, 15 of the starts, you could probably find something to nitpick, but, uh, you know, you mentioned slider's his best pitch, but it's not like his fastball isn't also a really good pitch. You know, everything he throws had the velocity you want to see, the movement you want to see, the, the way he would, you know, command it in the zone, as well as just control in general. It was all there. I mean, again, there's, there's, 
obviously a lot left, a lot of time left. You never know, you know, what's going to happen and trying to say, oh, this guy will be the number one pick, you know, a year in advance is a fool's errand. But, you know, as long as he stays healthy and as long as, you know, his mechanics stay the same, I mean, there's no reason, you know, th- this guy has all the skills. He checks all the boxes you look for at the, as a, you know, that top of, top of the draft college right-hander or just top of the draft pitcher period, regardless of what arm set you throw from and whether you're a high school or a college guy. Yeah, he, um, as a right-hander, 6'5", 220, that's, uh, that's a good way to draw him up. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just, there's a lot of things to like about him. And, you know, I think you can feel good about him continuing to develop over this next year because of the, the coaching that, that he's going to get. But we're also looking at several other really good uh, pitchers here. I mean, Tanner Houck has uh, just got really good stuff. The delivery is not textbook, but that's okay. He makes it work. And, uh, you know, some people compare the delivery to Max Scherzer, another Missouri right-hander who uh, has been, been pretty good. My, one of my, you know, I mentioned what my favorite comment from George Horton was during the week. My uh, other favorite comment uh, was from just from a scout in the stands when looking at Tanner Houck was, oh, we should have signed him. He's one of those guys that you know the the team that missed out the teams that missed out on him coming out of high school are now regretting it, and uh, you know there, there's no doubt. And I, I think again, you know, coming into this, the names you know that were you know it was Fido, Houck, and Bukowskis were the big three. You know, Fido is kind of on a level all his own. You know, no disrespect to, to what Hauk and Bukowskis can do because they're absolutely incredible as well. It's just Fido's on his own level, but, I mean, Hauk is right there. I mean, there's no doubt he's a guy that, you know, teams look at and say, yeah, you know, we, we, we want him not, oh, he's okay, not, oh, you know, this, but that. It's, no, we like him, we want him, we hope he's there when we pick. Yeah, and Bukowskis um, did not allow an earned run all summer. Fado only allowed one. Um, Bukowskis allowed one run. It was unearned, but he gets that 0-0-0 ERA next to his name, as does Alex Lane, who only threw nine innings. Uh, they're managing his workload a little bit more heavily because he threw more uh, than Bukowskis did um, going to, or Fado um, in the regular season. Those two guys are another... Two really good guys, Bukowskis, obviously, with a really powerful fastball. Lane, with a really good curveball and an incredible college track record. Um, you know, had an argument to be freshman of the year last year. Um, follows it up with a, a very good sophomore season and is now going to be, you know, expected to lead one of the top teams. You know, LSU's probably looking at a top five team next year, and Alex Lane is a huge part of that. You know, I was actually disappointed. I did not get to see him pitch, just the days and how it all fell. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you know, this rotation that team, they call it the collegiate national team put together was no doubt uh, just a, a great, great group. And I think it'll be interesting to see how all these kids develop because, again, we're talking about 19, 20-year-olds. There's, you know, obviously injuries come into play, and, and we've seen before guys who look really good in one summer, and then that final year things just sort of fall apart. But... I think when you look at this staff and this rotation, uh, you could arguably say, you know, eight of the ten best players on this entire team are on the pitching staff. You could say that, I think, fairly. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's not unreasonable. Um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll have to line them up pretty soon, but I, you know, I, I do not think that's unreasonable at all. The strength, it definitely of this team was pitching, and we're still getting a feel for it. But I think that the strength of the entire collegiate draft class for 2017 is going to be pitching. It often is, uh, but I think that that's going to be the case this year. Again, um, you know, we have, we didn't talk about any infielders. There's a reason for that. The ones they had there were very good. They are not top of the draft kind of guys. Um, you know, if you're looking for Swanson and a Bregman, uh, you got to keep looking. That's, yeah. that's not this year. Yeah, no, and, and again, not to you know disrespect, there there are definitely some some quality infielders there, but you know, like you said, there's no you know jump out at you type of guys. I mean, you know, Devin Harrison, Louisville second baseman, real quick hands, didn't show much at the bat at least that first week. Uh, uh, he um, went O for the summer. Yeah, so I mean, you know that you know you see you know Dalton Guthrie, you know does you know a few things. I mean Clay Fisher, I, I mean guys that aren't bad, but but you're right, there's not that 
It's not that Bregman, that Swanson, that that stud middle infielder you see that you're like, ooh. I mean, it just, you know, and again, every year there's different strengths. It's not, you know, a sign of anything other than just this particular year. It wasn't the strength of the team. And, there, you know, I mean, we can we could be talking uh, late next next spring about how maybe Taylor Walls took a step for, took another step forward. He took a step forward this year. Maybe he takes another one and, and is able to work his way up or, or maybe Dalton Guthrie. Um, you know, but right now the infielders, um, you know, take Berger has a lot of power. Uh, somebody's going to be interested in that power come, yeah. come, come draft time. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, Evan White over at first base is an exceptional defender and really, really athletic. They played him in the outfield a little bit before they realized that they had TJ Friedel and, um, you know, he hits pretty well. Maybe doesn't profile quite as a corner guy, but I mean, there, there's, there's stuff here, and at least one of these guys, I bet, takes a step forward or you know just is better again in the spring. Uh, you know, Taylor Walls was uh, you know first team All American shortstop, and uh, I mean, it's just a long time to be playing when you start in uh, early February, and you know these guys are playing until the end of July. That's a, that's a long season for these exactly, guys. and that's why you know it's hard. You never want to. You know, knock a guy too much for how they played in in a you know a one week you know series in in Southern California after a lot of these guys were coming right off of deep postseason runs too. So, you know, it's 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 going to be interesting to see. It's just more of a you know watch the jump out at you. But but I do want to go back to Evan White a little bit. You know, you saw some time in right field and saw some time at first. And uh, you know, again, the quote on him was, I mean, that's a Gold Glove caliber first baseman. And you saw, I mean, he was fine in right field. He could do it. But then he moves to first, and you just see it. The footwork, the arm, the ability to scoop everything. I mean, the guy just is a vacuum up there, and he also, any diving catches, you know, when he's, when he's you know, rocket liners at him both sides. And then on top of all that, they were batting him at the top of the lineup, and he was going four for six. So, I mean, you're right. He doesn't profile as that power first baseman type. But if you're okay with a, a James Loney type, you know, 280 hit, you know, maybe 8 to 10 homers and plays really good defense. I mean, you know, I feel like James Loney gets a lot of hate in Major League Baseball. I don't know why because, you know, you have a 10-year career and you hit close to 300, you're doing just fine. I mean, I, I think that that's kind of the general idea of an Evan White, I think. And and there's absolutely value in that. And there's absolutely a team that's going to take that. And it'll be interesting to see. But, but I would say, you know, when I look at all the infielders, you know, Jake Berger's power, who showed up in BP, was wow, power. You know, the games, it wasn't as much uh, as visible, but, you know, he had 24 home runs, I think, for Missouri State. You don't, you don't do that if you don't have game time power. He does. Right. Uh, but, but I think of all the infielders, you look at the total, how did they play on the field, plus just what are some of the basic things they showed you. I think Evan White at first base is the guy, at least to me, from the week I, that they were in Southern California, that was like, all right, you know, this, this kid's got some things. Well, people that have been listening to the podcast know I love Dalton Guthrie. Uh, so I, I will, uh, I'll be very interested to see how he does uh, going forward. Taylor Walls, um, again, like I mentioned, you know, he took a step forward this year. I'll, I'll be interested to see if he can, if he can repeat that. So, I mean, maybe not quite to the extent that he stepped forward this year. I'm not sure he could pull that off. Uh, that would be another massive step. But, um, you know, I think he's going to be an interesting guy. But Jake Berger's right-handed power, I mean, people are going to be very interested in that. Exactly. I mean, that's one of those things, you know, as they're stepping up on workout day for BP, you know, a couple guys show up and there's there's some big-time power. And then he steps up and it's just, it, it, you know, the stereotypical, the ball sounds different off the bat, same idea. I mean, you, you look at the BP session and, you know, Brendan McKay obviously could, could hit the ball a long way. Seth Beer hit the ball a long way. Jake Berger put them both to shame. And on top of that, it wasn't just that. He had a really nice arm at third base. I mean, that was also something where you looked at that. You know, he's a bigger guy. He's not a guy that necessarily look at and say, oh, you know, he's, he's you know, super, super twitchy just from the look. But then you watch him play, and he makes all the plays he should. Came in on a bunch just fine, was able to move, move to his left and right just fine, and had a really nice arm. I mean, anytime you can get a, a power-hitting third baseman, who can stick there? Yeah. I mean, he's absolutely going to draw some attention. And again, you know, in the games, it wasn't like he was hitting, you know, bombs left and right, but he's shown the ability to do that. And he's definitely a guy that I wouldn't say hurt himself during the week. Right. He definitely was, was a guy who you, 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 you pay attention to based off what he showed again, coming in 
God, you know, Lord knows, I'm on the West Coast. I didn't see Missouri State play a game all year. <laughs> they don't come out there. Yeah. And pretty quickly, Jake Berger's a guy who opens your eyes and draws your attention. You know, I my guess, I, I did not ask George this myself. My guess is that when they were putting together the team, like you mentioned, that that Sharon Kendall was top of the top of the board. I'll bet Jake Berger was number one on the third baseman list. That that I mean, he he really is kind of the guy for next year in terms of third baseman. Um, that that was some people last year feel like they should have taken Senzel to play third base instead of Dahlbeck. Nobody is going to be thinking that they should have taken anyone but Jake Berger to play third base this year. You know, we we talked a bit about Evan White and. You know, while while you were talking about that and, and mentioning Seth Beer, I, I just it's an interesting contrast. Those are the two guys they used in right field primarily. They are pretty different players, and yet they're kind of similar in that they're both like tall, long legged, and left handed. Well, and <laughs> but yes, but but like with with White, you've got this exceptional defensive first baseman who doesn't hit for power. And in beer, you have a guy that people are have a lot of questions about whether he stays in the outfield, whether he moves to first base, and he does hit for power. So it's just like, what kind of player do we want here? Do we want the traditional profile, or do we want, like you mentioned, the James Loney-type profile? And there's no right answer, of course. Uh, you know, Power means that Seth Beer is probably going to be taken ahead of White, unless you really feel strongly about White's bat. Um, you know, Power is a, a harder-to-find commodity. It, it, it will be interesting to see how those two guys, from this point, you know, from from this time when they were teammates, move forward uh, in, in terms of, of their career and, and what people think of them and you know where they play. Because maybe White, who's been a first baseman throughout his college career, goes to the outfield, and Beer, who has only one year so far, but it was in the outfield, maybe he moves into first base. One of the most interesting things I heard throughout the week, Seth Beer, the comp was Garrett Anderson. And the reason for that is twofold. First, at the plate, you know, Beer also has kind of, it's a left-handed swing. It's tall. It looks long, but it gets through the zone. And people, you know, Garrett Anderson obviously had 2,500 hits, but during his prime, he was hitting 30 homers a year for four or five years. So I think people underestimate his power. But on top of that, it's kind of the way he moved in the outfield. It wasn't very fast. Uh, people said it looked, you know, heavy-legged. Wasn't, wasn't, wasn't what you'd want to see, but... You remember, I don't know how many folks might remember, but when Garrett Anderson first came up with the Angels, they had Edmonds and Erstad and Salmon, and they wanted to move one of them to first, and they tried Garrett Anderson, he actually said no. <laughs> so they moved Aaron Erstad there and ended up, you know, Anderson ended up playing left field, you know, his whole career. Um, you know, I think that it was an interesting pro comparison that that was just, I, you know, two scouts were talking about it, two uh, Southern California-based guys who grew up watching Garrett Anderson and said, you know, yeah, this is kind of the comp we see where... It's never going to look all that great in right field. You know, it, it almost looks slow. You know, the, the foot speed's not great. There's not, you know, but he gets to the balls he's supposed to. And kind of that long leverage swing that, you know, gets hits and gets, you know, gets gets out of the park when it needs to. Um, I think there's a chance he sticks in right field. It might be left because he didn't show a whole lot with his arm at that at during CNT. But... Again, we're talking about a kid who still has a lot of growth ahead of him, so maybe it, he gets stronger and it develops and they work on footwork. Who knows? But I just, I just came out of that seeing what they were talking about. And you think, you know, Seth Beer, Garrett Anderson, that, that type of outfielder slash, you know, hitting profile. I think people, uh, whoever drafts Seth Beer in two years, I think they would be pretty happy if they got Garrett Anderson's career out of yeah, it. Yeah, it's multiple-time <laughs> all-star, 2,500 <laughs> hits, 300 homers. Yeah, you're, you're doing all right. <laughs> Uh, well, there's one other guy I wanted to mention here, uh, Keston Hira, who uh, was the hero of the, the Cuba series. Um, he hit what proved to be the game-winning home run, pinch hit home run, and the top of the eighth inning in game five uh, of the Cuba series. Team USA holds on to win 2-1, to one, and they win the series in Cuba for the first time. Now, Keston has been sidelined, or he, he's had, he had an arm injury uh, in April, and he wasn't able to play the field the rest of the spring, didn't play the field again this summer. He told uh, me, and you'll hear uh, an interview uh, in a few minutes here with, with Keston, he says that he hasn't thrown a ball um, since since the injury. Uh, expects to be full strength later, but he was limited to DH and, and pinch hitting this summer, but he still made an impact. You know, He led the team with three home runs um, in 38 at-bats. 
And uh, he's, he's a very interesting guy moving forward. We'll see where he plays um, defensively. He was a center fielder at UC Irvine before the injury, uh, but he actually went there as an infielder. And some people think that maybe he ends up back there still. So I, he'll be a very fascinating player to watch moving forward. The thing about Keston Hara, and I had seen him, but it was even more pronounced during CNT, is just the ball jumps off his bat. You know, you talk about like the Jake Burgers or you know Nick Fate, who was eventually cut. You know, you see the big raw power, and it wasn't that with Hera. It's not like this big, bulky, you know, raw power. But, God, the ball just gets off the bat like that. The yeah, he led the state of California as a senior in high school in home runs. Right, and that, that's the thing. And, and he's, he went undrafted that year. I mean, he's, he's absolutely a power hitter in the sense that he makes such hard contact and the ball just jumps off his bat. I mean, again, you know, a game at Angel Stadium. And for those who don't know, Angel Stadium is also a pitcher's park because at night the ball just dies. Just the way the stadium is set up. Uh, you know, during the day the ball fly a little bit, but at night it just dies. Keston Herrera got a pitch, and again hit it probably ten rows back, and you know, in the back bullpen in left field late at night in Angel Stadium. If you watch some Angels game, you know, the wood bat. You watch some Angels games. Not many guys. I mean, that's that's where Albert Pujols hits them. I mean, I'm not saying Keston Herrera is Albert <laughs> Pujols, I, I, but I'm saying that you know, at night the ball at Angel Stadium does not fly very far. It's really rare to see a home run into the back bullpen at Angel Stadium at night, and he did it. Um, I think, you know, he's a guy that you absolutely have to watch because, A, the track record, and B, um, just, again, one of those guys, when, when the ball leaves his bat, you know, it's that. It, it, you know, you obviously can't see on the podcast, but it's that that quick quick neck turn, eyebrows up. I mean, that's that's just what he does. He hits the ball you know, solid contact every time, and it travels a long way. And I think it's just some guys have that natural ability to square the baseball up and hit it a ton. And Keston Hara absolutely has that. When they announced this, um, you know, the, the coaching staff and the schedule for this year's collegiate national team, like Keston Hero was one of the first players I thought of as like being a deadlock to make the team if he wanted to make the team because he's a Big West guy. The coaching staff was full of Big West guys. <laughs> George Horton, Big West alum. Dave Snow, Big West alum. They were playing in SoCal. Like, that was the only time they were in the States. Like, I just felt like he was a perfect fit for them. Because, you know, not only does he have this power stuff, but he's got a lot of back control, too. And, um, you know, he can bunt. And, you know, he, he mentions in the interview that, you know, some of these guys coming from the Southeast, especially, although he doesn't say that specifically, but I'm pretty sure that's who he was talking about, <laughs> uh, show up and, you know, they've never bunted before, really. And that's not the way the Big West plays baseball. Like, it doesn't matter how much power you have, you're going to be asked to bunt at some point. So, you know, I knew that he would be able to play the game. And in, in international baseball, the way that the game's played the, with the teams, especially when you go to Asia, like, you kind of have to be able to do some of that stuff. And I, I just felt like he was going to be a, a perfect fit. Then he got hurt, and I wasn't as sure, but they still were able to find him, find a spot for him, and I, I, you know, they have to be very glad they did because you know they, they walk away with history thanks to him. You know, I was talking with George Horton uh, after Luke and Baker was added to the team. Talk about how much power was on that roster with Beer, with McKay, with Baker, with Fate, with Berger, and he added Hera's name too. He's like, and you know, yeah, those guys and Hera. I mean, you know, and we're not to talk about, but I mean, he absolutely considers Keston Hera's power in the league with those other guys. And again, given the track record, you know, you can't argue it. You don't necessarily, like, I, I don't think you were the only person that wouldn't have put Hira in that sentence before. You know, you, you think about Lucan, you think about Fate, you think about some of these guys, Burger, Beer, power is what you think of. I don't think that's the tool, the immediate tool that people think of with Kesson Hira. But he has the ability to do it. Right. So if he is able to continue, if he has another really good spring, and he hits some home runs, and he he's you know he still hits. Like I think he's going to go pretty good because yeah, I mean people are going to see that raw power as they bear down on him this spring. They're going to see that in BP. They're going to see it in games, and then they're going to be like, oh yeah, but look at all this back control too. And I, I think right now, at least for me, you know I don't think of him like that. But I think as as we get closer to the draft, I think I at least me and, and I assume other people as well, or maybe I, maybe I'm alone and not thinking of him like this. But I think we're going to see the opinion moved more towards where, where he is a, a more complete hitter. 
and, and again, it's not you know raw power in the in the sense of some of those other guys with the big, you know, strong and just hitting moonshots. But it's like we talked about with similar to the back control. He squares everything up, and everything he hits is hard. You know, even the non-home runs. I mean, it's it's line shots on a line. I mean, like he's not a big kid like Luke and Baker, and that's probably where, probably where part of this this uh, bias against his power is coming from. Yeah. Luke, um, Luke and Baker off such the plate, you're like, that is a big boy. Like that was that's your initial reaction. Kirsten <laughs> Hurry, you don't think that, but they list him at Irvine at 5'11", 185. That might be generous, <laughs> but no, but but I mean again, but then you look at. How fast is the ball leaving the bat, yeah. and how far is it going? I mean, you know. Oh, excuse me. That was an, that was an old listing. He's now six zero one eighty eight. Sure. <laughs> Luke and Baker is uh, four listed at four inches taller than that, and uh, I'm not going to pull it up, but I believe it eighty pounds heavier than that. That's about right. Yeah. yeah no. I, exactly. So you know, again, it's just the difference, but. You know, here, obviously, and, and a lot of people, you know, you talk about Big West style of baseball as well. You know, Irvine's not an easy field to hit a home run in as mm-hmm. well. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about that over the years. So some of the, the way they play is because they have to adjust to the parks they're playing in. And so, you know, you might see Kesson Harris home run totals, and they're not, it's not 24. It's not 18. But, you know, he's playing in a really, really, really difficult park to hit a home run in. And... uh I think, you know, as we see more and more this ability to just hit everything on a line and with some of the power. I mean, again, he led this this team, this collegiate national team in home runs. Not Seth Beer, not Jake Berger. I mean, Keston Hira did. And he's doing it with less at-bats than these guys because he, you know, was was limited. Uh, you know, the, the power hitters all got more, more at-bats. Like, the traditional power hitters got more at-bats than he Right. So, you know, again, again, it just goes back to some guys can... can Get the ball, square it up, and hit it a ton every time they do. And that's what Keston Hero does. Well, it's been uh, great talking about this stuff. Uh, Those were the last meaningful, well, I guess the the Cape is still running for uh, another week here with their playoffs. Uh, But these were were some of the last meaningful, uh, or last games of any sort, meaningful or otherwise non-scrimmages for for several months. So it's, uh, I I love the CNT. I wish they had... uh, been able to be in the States a little bit longer so that I could have seen them. But it was great that, that you were able to see them and, and see some of these guys and, and share your thoughts uh, about them today. My pleasure. It was it was really, really cool to see. Again, being on the pro side of things more often and then on the West Coast having not seen a lot of these guys, it was definitely a really cool experience just to see all these guys and what they can do in person. It's a very talented group and definitely, uh, you know, a lot of these guys will be at, at the top of the draft next year, there's no doubt. Well, thanks, uh, thanks very much, Kyle. Uh, we'll be looking forward to our um, ranking of the, the top Team USA prospects here in, uh, in an, another couple weeks. Um, and, uh, you know, we got a lot of other exciting stuff over at Baseball America. In the meantime, like I mentioned, you can read my story about TJ Friedel, and um, there's plenty of, uh, of amateur coverage, Cape and high school and pro side. There, there's a lot over there. Um, but before you go and you check all of that out, uh, we've got Keston here coming up here on the podcast. I've done the interview already, and I think it's pretty good. So uh, hopefully you guys enjoy that. And uh, you know, thank you again to Kyle for, uh, for pinch hitting here. Uh, the, the schedule was tough for us this year, but we're glad you were able to, uh, to step in and help out. My pleasure. All right, so here is Keston Hira, and uh, he'll tell us about what it was like playing for, uh, for Team USA this summer. Uh, well, thank you for joining me here on the Baseball America podcast, Keston. Uh, you guys, uh, the Collegiate National Team just got back from its uh, its summer tour uh, through Taiwan, Japan, Cuba, and uh, obviously it was a pretty dramatic end of the summer. Uh, we'll get to that in a second, but you know, first, just what was it like playing for Team USA? Uh, it was it was an unreal experience, you know, being able to uh, represent you know the red, white, and blue on your chest and um, it's truly an honor um, playing against, you know, countries around the world. Um, it's it's something that, you know, not many people get to do. So uh, I was glad to be able to be part of it. And, uh, uh, you know, it's an experience I'll never forget. 
So I, I did mention the uh, the dramatic way the summer ended. Uh, you guys were playing a five-game series in Cuba uh, and going into the fifth game, tied at two two wins apiece, and then the game was tied at one going into the eighth inning uh, when manager George Horton sent you in to pinch hit, uh, and you end up hitting a home run that wins the game and wins the series for the, for the collegiate national team. It was the first time they'd ever won a series in Cuba. So obviously that's a pretty special moment. Can you, uh, can you describe that at all, uh, you know, what you were thinking during the at-bat and, and what you thought when, when, when you hit the ball? Yeah, I mean, uh, we all knew it was, a, you know, it was a huge game. You know, it's, it's a chance to make history, you know, for USA Baseball. Um, so it was, a, it was a very important game from the very beginning, and, you know, we got outstanding pitching um, from our players. And I remember, I, think, I believe it was sixth inning, uh, Coach Horton called us all in. We're down 1-0. And he told us, you know, this is the time to do it. Um, you know, we have four more innings left. Let's, let's, let's make an impact on the game. So we end up tying it that inning, and then uh, you know, I was, you know, I was locked in through the whole game, uh, you know, doing whatever I can uh, from the bench, you know, to keep keep our teammates in the game and uh, you know support them. And um, during the eighth inning, uh, I knew there there was a chance, you know, for to get in that bat. So I was trying to mentally lock in. Um, I know that lefty pitcher; he pitched a few innings before that, so. Uh, you know, watching him, what do you like to throw, um, you know, what to expect in certain counts. And when I got that opportunity to lead off the inning, um, it was it was unreal. Uh, he went, I believe he won a full count against me and threw a changeup. Um, I thought it was, you know, uh, with the curveball, but he threw the changeup and uh, was able to put a good swing on it. Uh, at first, I thought it hit it too high, but it kept, Kept going and going. Once I saw go over the fence, it was it was a feeling I can't describe. Well, and, and you mentioned there the the good pitching you guys had, and then they were uh, Ricky Tyler Thomas was able to to make that stand up with yeah. two oh, scoreless. Yeah. And I mean, you guys all summer had great pitching. I mean, you guys had to be pretty confident once you took that lead that that you weren't going to give it up there. Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, throughout the whole uh, you know throughout the whole series and uh, previous series. We knew our pitching was our strength point. So uh, if they were able to keep us uh, in the game, then we knew that if we scored runs, that uh, we should win every ball game. When you're there in Cuba, I mean, there's no one traveling with you guys, and you don't really have cell service, and internet connections aren't that great. I mean, you guys really kind of are all on your own there, right? Yeah, correct. So when were you able to, uh, to start telling people uh, what had happened? Uh, not until I got back in uh, Florida. Um, Cuba, there was, uh, yeah, there was, like you said, no cell service, uh, very limited uh, wireless connection. Um, so, you know, I wasn't able to tell my parents. Or, um, I think they found out, though, uh, through their social media or um, through the, somehow through the Internet. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I wasn't able to, you know, tell my family about it. But, as soon as I got back in the States, you know, I got a lot of congratulations from family and from friends. And uh, it was it was fun. Uh, you know, it was a good week of seclusion from all the all the technology. But um, once we got back in Florida, uh, I was happy. I was happy to see uh, all the support that everyone's been giving me. I guess that was a little different than the way it had been in, in uh, Asia. You guys there were able to uh to talk with with family members back home right yeah um with all the international plans and all that uh i know calling was a little limited but there was way more uh wireless wi-fi uh connection available so we were able to contact uh people back from the states easier what was it like playing uh over in, in japan and taiwan for you uh, it was fun uh it was definitely different uh I'm I'm half Chinese, half Japanese, so you know it was cool to you know go back to or to go to Asia for the first time for me, and um, you know see what their culture and uh, style of baseball is like. And it is a, a different style, especially with the way you get pitched. Was it uh, an adjustment Correct. to to face all the the breaking stuff that that those pitchers like to throw? 
Yeah, definitely. I, I know their their starters were really good. Um, you know, they kept all of our hitters off balance. Um, you know, they a lot of them threw uh, splitters, which not many of us are accustomed to. So um, yeah, definitely their starting pitching was very it was a plus for uh, for the Japan and uh, Chinese Taipei team. Um, but we were able to stay in most of the games. Uh, unfortunately, we weren't able to win the series against Japan. Uh, but we were right in it, you know, taking it game five. Uh, Evan Scout with that huge grand slam to tie the game in the eighth inning. Um, so uh, it was it was definitely fun, you know, to play against, you know, some of the top teams in Asia. Um, but, yeah, their, their style of play is definitely, definitely different than what we're used to. From talking with uh, with Coach Horton, um, I guess it, it sounds like you had a pretty tough travel schedule. Um, how did you guys, uh, you know, stay fresh during the the weeks that that you were there on on the road? Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of you know traveling and bus rides, um, but you know, I think it just we were all able to focus in because you know the group of guys that um, you know all the coaches and uh, staff assembled. You know, it was a great great group of players. Uh, you know, always. Uh, you know, line up the mood, and we were always able to, you know, talk and, um, you know, be excited and, you know, locked in for the games to come because we knew they were important. So this is just, um, you know, just a little minor setback that, you know, that we all knew we had to overcome. What was it like being uh, being able to play with all those different guys from all over the country? I mean, you know, it's a true all-star team, really. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's just an honor. Um, you know, best players from around the country. Uh, you know, I'm from the West Coast, and then you have people from the East Coast, uh, you know, playing. So it's it's fun uh, to see, you know, also, like, the different styles of play um, that they do back East uh, compared to the West. So it was it was definitely fun and interesting at the same time. But, wow, they're, all these players were unbelievable, uh, very talented, and, you know, they, they all have bright futures ahead of them. From your perspective, what is the biggest difference between baseball on the West Coast and, and the East Coast? I mean, I think uh, you know, back in the East Coast, you know, they're you know they're very pitcher dominant. Uh, a lot of their pitchers, you know, are hard throwers. Um, you know, get up there with their fastball. Um, and then I would say back west or in the West, uh, you know, we like we like to you know, throw a lot of change-ups and, you know, keep the hitters off balance. Um, so, I know, you know, I know there are some players, you know, that have never bunted in their uh, in their college career. And back on the West Coast, you know, a lot, it's almost mandatory to learn how to bunt and all that. But, I mean, they're different styles of play, but they both succeed at, you know, their own strengths. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 Cool to see, and uh, you know, maybe hopefully in the within the next season, you know, we'll be able to play against some of those teams from the East. Well, and, and how happy were you that you didn't have to face some of those pitchers? Um, I mean, JBB oh, wow. didn't give up an earned run, and Alex Fado with with his uh, his nasty stuff. I mean, how good did, did those guys look to you? Oh yeah, it's I'm lucky that I didn't get to face them, but uh. Um, at the same time, it'd also be fun uh, to see, you know, what it's like um, to see those arms. So, I mean, I've watched them on our side uh, dominate batters. Uh, so, at the same time, I'm kind of curious, you know, how I would, you know, battle up against them. But, yeah, they, they were – all of their pitchers did an exceptional job uh, this summer and definitely, uh, definitely not, not going to be as confident on the other side of the plate. <laughs> well, pretty soon now, I guess you'll uh, you'll be starting your your junior year uh, back at Irvine. Um, what are you looking forward to most about this year? We're looking forward to as a team, you know, to get back in the playoffs. Um, past few years, we haven't had the best years, um, so I think definitely we have that chip on our shoulder of getting back into uh, you know regional and uh, you know advancing, you know. Cause Three years ago, we were able to make it to the College World Series. So um, we definitely want, you know, the opportunity, to, you know, to even get back there. Um, but I'm excited for, you know, we have a lot of returning players. Uh, we lost 
one of our main pitchers, Elliot Seri, um, our, our shortstop, John Brosma, and first baseman, Mitchell Holland, a few other key players that uh, were very successful for us last year. But uh, for the majority, we have uh, our whole starting lineup returning, uh, young pitching staff returning. So hopefully they, they got some experience um, last year. And uh, I heard we've had we have a couple – uh, JC guys and freshmen that you know are looking to make a big impact on the year this year. You mentioned going to the World Series uh, a few years ago, and then obviously Fullerton went, and then uh, UCSB this year. I mean, so the Big mm-hmm. West obviously is a, a really good conference, and just what's it like playing there? Uh, you know, playing in the some of those you know really historic rivalries that that, that conference has. Yeah, I mean, uh, Big West. I feel like the Big West gets overlooked. Uh, Every now and then, but uh, we've produced you know great quality teams that you know, have proved to the to the world that um, you know we're able to you know the compete with the SEC teams, ACC teams, Big Ten teams, and you know all the powerhouses. So um, you know making a Big West team making College World Series the past three years is a the huge statement that you know you can't count us out, and um, you know we're able to compete with the best. As we uh, get into fall ball, I know that's still a little bit, a little ways away. I mean, what what are you hoping to improve on in your game um, before the season begins? Um, I would say just staying healthy, um, staying healthy throughout the fall and winter, um, and then getting stronger as well. Um, you know, there's obviously you know some mechanics that I want to work on my swing and. Um, you know, certain discipline areas, but uh, I think the main key for me is just staying healthy. How are you physically now? I know you had the that arm injury back in uh, April, uh, and you you weren't able to play the field uh, then down the stretch. Uh, but are are you uh, are you on track to to be able to to be one hundred percent? Yeah, uh, I decided to you know take the whole summer off of throwing, so uh, I haven't I haven't thrown at all this whole summer, but. Uh, I'm feeling really good right now. Um, still got to get it checked up again to see, you know, if it's if it's all better. But uh, throughout the summer, when I was I was DHing, it felt felt great. So um, that's a good sign. And uh, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to rush back into anything. Um, you know, I'm trying to make it stronger uh, so it prevents it from being injured again. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's made a lot of progress and. Uh, I don't see any, you know, setbacks uh, for that arm happening within the next month or so. So, um, yeah, I'm just taking it easy and, you know, not trying to push anything. And uh, I guess you went to to Irvine as a as an infielder, and now you've become a pretty good outfielder as well. I mean, how uh, how's that transition been to uh, to learning to play center field? Um. My freshman year, I think it was maybe like two or three weeks before season started, um, they asked me if I can go to the outfield because at that moment we had uh, a lot of infielders that were stepping up and, you know, we needed them in the lineup. So, you know, I was willing to go to the outfield, and I don't think I've played outfield since um, eighth grade. So it was different at first, uh, definitely different, but, you know, a lot of help from my coaches and teammates. Uh, I got pretty comfortable out there. Um, I was able to read balls a lot better, get good jumps on it, um, you know, and get that more of an outfielder instincts. Um, so yeah, for right now I feel pretty comfortable out there, um, and it's just I still have more work to do and more a lot more to learn in the outfield. But it's always something good to have in your arsenal, uh, be able to play both the infield and outfield. And uh, you know what's it been like to uh, to be able to play out there at Irvine for uh, for Coach Gillespie? Oh, it's 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 fun. Uh, you know, Gillespie's one of the you know top coaches in college baseball history, so um, there's always something to learn from him. Um, you know, it's it's really it's it's all about you know small ball with him and you know the mental side of the game. So. Um, if we're able to do that and, uh, you know, execute his plan, you know, we should be able to win every game. 
But Irvine, it's, it's a great place to play at. And, you know, I love all the players on our team, uh, all the coaches. And, you know, it's, it's a great school as well. So I'm having, I'm having a great time down there. Um, and, you know, I'm excited to get back. Well, Keston, I really appreciate you uh, you taking some time to to chat with me here on the the Baseball America podcast, and uh, wish you uh, good luck here as uh, you know we we get into the to fall and, and and you start heading back to school. Thank you, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This concludes our program. Want more in depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit baseballamerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. After the end of a good fight. You deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.